Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. As you know, today we're starting a new sermon series called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. And really this whole sermon series is going to be about what, what's the life of a Christian like? What, what are the things that Christians do day to day? What makes us different from other people in the world? And how can we grow our roots deeper into the Word of God and into the message of His grace? And how can we grow branches higher to produce more fruit to the glory of God? How can we better know Jesus' mercy? And how can we better know how to give glory to God? Every week, I'm going to put this passage, 2 Peter 1.8, at the top of your crosswalk notes. Would you read it with me this morning? It's right at the top under the title, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective Christians. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to be talking about seven qualities that hopefully through this series we're going to adopt in increasing measure so that our faith will not be ineffective nor will it be unproductive. Let me start this morning with, uh, with something that happened uh, a little over a year ago in Las Vegas, Nevada. It was February 7th, 2006 to, um, to be exact. And that day dawned cool and bright in Las Vegas. And as the day progressed, it got warmer and warmer, not unlike a, a, a February day right here in Phoenix. A funeral procession moved along the full length of the strip as the sun rose higher into the sky. Motorcycle officers rode side by side, and a long line of mourners stretched behind for miles and drove behind the lead vehicle, which was a hearse. Uniformed police officers stood at attention for more than two hours over every underpass of the freeway throughout the entire city of Las Vegas. And on every major news station in Las Vegas, live feeds trained their cameras on the procession without any commercial interruptions. More than 150,000 residents of Las Vegas watched what was happening on February 6th. In fact, apart from the procession, Las Vegas stood almost supernaturally still on that afternoon. And in the lead vehicle, as I said, a hearse, was the body of Las Vegas Police Sergeant Henry Prendis. Six days earlier, on February 1st, Prendis had been enjoying only his second week as a sergeant. He had been promoted, a good promotion with a higher salary and supposedly a job that was much safer than the patrol job and the vice job that he had held earlier in his career. Now he would be supervising officers on the street instead of being on the street himself. And getting to the scene of a crime would actually become relatively rare. But on February 1st, Henry Prendes, sitting in his newly given to him office as a sergeant, heard a rare alert, a priority alert, come over the radio in his office, the scanner. And then he heard the code 417 
domestic violence in Las Vegas police terms. And he also heard the terms over the radio, Two Ocean One and Two Sam One. Two of his own eight police officers were the closest to the scene of this domestic dispute. Details came in. A man was beating his wife with a stick in the front yard of their house. And Henry thought to himself, I can be there in 10 minutes. It hadn't been that long since he himself had been out on the street. And he got into his squad car and he turned on the lights and the siren. The report on the way told Henry that two men and two women were now fighting in the front yard of that house. And as the women tried to get into their car, one of the men took a huge rock and smashed it through the windshield of the car as they were trying to escape. And then he dashed into the house. Just after he arrived, Henry heard this code on his radio before he could get out of the car. Emergency officers in life or death situation need immediate assistance. When Henry got out of his car, 8336 Feather Duster Drive was in front of him. A police helicopter hovered overhead. The door of the house was ajar after the man had run back into it. Was it a trap? Henry didn't know, but he also didn't take cover. As I said, he got out of his car, leaving on the front seat of his car next to him an open Bible, a Bible that he had been reading earlier in the day when he had gone out into the city to meet a friend for a rendezvous. And he had been waiting for him, so he was reading that Bible while he was waiting. Another officer was already there. Come on, let's go, he told the officer, and he headed for the door. He didn't even pause to take the gun out of his holster. He walked toward the door as if he was a man on a mission. That was sort of Henry's personality, man on a mission. What's he thinking? The other officer asked himself as he walked up toward that open door. Henry went into the door, and inside, just inside the door, was a foyer. And a stairway led up to a second floor. Up on the second floor was a man standing with an AK-47. And the man, as Henry turned to back out the door, leveled the AK-47 at Henry and pulled the trigger. A burst of shots, four of which went into Henry's body and pushed him back outside that front door onto the sidewalk. Henry wasn't dead yet, but he was hurting pretty bad. One shot had gone through his lung. Another had clipped him in the, in the shoulder. He was in tough shape, but he was able to sort of sit himself up and prop himself up against something in the garden there in the front. And then the man who had shot him went to the window on the second floor, broke it, and fired several other bursts from the AK-47 at the other officers that had now gathered in front of the house. And then it went quiet. And then the man with the AK-47 appeared in the front door, took two quick steps toward Henry Prendes before anyone could do anything pointed his AK-47 at him and executed him. Later on, that man was killed. 
But now fast forward to that funeral procession. The funeral procession ends up at a church. And when the coffin is brought inside the church and the pastor begins the service, the pastor picks up the Bible that had been on Henry Prendes's front seat. And he opens it up to the book of John, and he reads this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Words of Jesus. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. The pastor knew Henry very well because Henry was a regular attender at church and had been involved for a long time in that church. And after he read those words from Jesus, he said this, For Henry, those words were not just a pie-in-the-sky thought. That was a reality, he continued. And so he wanted us to celebrate today because he knew with all of his heart that when he left this world, he would be with God. Sometimes we might get tired of hearing about the cross. And sometimes we might feel that the pastor or the guy writing the devotion or, or the guy that we maybe are listening to in a song is talking one too many times about God's love and the cross and the forgiveness and the eternal life that we get there as a free gift. But when you think about Officer Henry Prendes and the situation that he suddenly felt himself in, you realize, I don't think we can ever hear too much about the cross. And now I want you to, um, to take out your crosswalk notes one more time, because all of this really leads to what the Apostle Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And he's relating his message, the message that he taught to the people of Corinth, and he's basically saying the very same thing that I just said. We can never get enough of the message of the cross. And this is the first habit. And it is the foundational habit for every follower of Christ. And that is that we keep our focus always on the cross. Will you read with me these words from 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5? I'd love to have you read them along with me. When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. You know, thoughts are huge. In fact, modern science tells us that our thoughts are very vital to our emotions. Our emotions drive our actions. Our actions, in turn, turn into habits, and those habits become our character 
And then our character, in turn, has a big impact on our thoughts. It's a huge cycle. And, and thoughts are so important. I want you to think on, back on the story that I just told of, of how it could be so easy in that situation to, to, to think about the tragedy of the death of Henry Prendice. And, and truly, it, it is a tragedy. It was a tragedy. And yet, at the same time, because we could focus on that beautiful message of Christ, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, he will live. Because we can focus our thoughts on the cross and on Christ and what he's done, we realize that there's tremendous value in Henry Prendez's death because he's now in heaven with God, the very thing that Jesus Christ earned for him on the cross. And the people that were at that funeral, thousands of people affected by Henry Prendez's death, all of them got to hear the message of the cross on that day. Most people, as you know, will try to control their actions. You've probably uh, had a parent or two in your life tell you to control your actions. You've maybe even been told, as I have, to control your emotions. But we don't talk so much about controlling our thoughts. Have you ever thought about that, that you can actually direct your thoughts. In fact, the Bible tells us to direct our thoughts in a number of places. And, and in this very set of verses that we just read, it says that Paul resolved to, to direct his thoughts, doesn't it? When he appeared to the Corinthians, it says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want you to take a look at that passage from the book of Romans that I put in your crosswalk notes. And notice how in this passage, Paul talks about how the world was going down the wrong path and largely because they weren't directing their thoughts, their thinking in a godly way. Here's what Paul says. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. For although they knew God, they neither, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. In fact, in several places in the Bible, the, um, the whole idea of being converted to Christ is pictured as renewing our minds. Is that as, as if the Holy Spirit, when he comes into our hearts, also spreads his tentacles into our very thinking, the thinking of our brains, and says, that all has to change. The very word repent means change your mind. And so as we begin this, this uh, series of developing seven habits that, that can help us in our walk with Jesus Christ, we begin with just this simple thought that it's important for us to examine our thinking and to focus our thinking. And the message for today, focus on the cross, focus our thoughts and our minds on the cross, really means this. It's very simple. It means when we say focus on the cross, to focus on who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. That's what we mean when we say focus on the cross. Focus on who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us. 
You know, Jesus called on people who were around him to think about their thinking. In fact, one time he was with the Pharisees, and he asked them this. Matthew 22, verse 41 says, While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, What do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And you know what? Jesus is still asking that question of us today, just like he first asked it of the Pharisees. Who am I to you? Do I represent the Son of God to you? Do you think and believe that God sent me to take on your sins? That that I am the one that has all the fullness and all the power of God because I'm his son? Do you know who I am? And, And then also, as you look back in the Gospels, you notice that Jesus asks the people around him, do you know what I'm doing? In um, Luke chapter 5, it says this, The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? You see, Jesus had just uh, told a man that he had healed, that his sins were forgiven. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And Jesus knew what they were thinking, Luke tells us. He knew what they were thinking. And he asked them, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Why are you doubting in your minds that I can forgive sins? I am the Son of God. I am the promised Savior, the Messiah. And I want your thinking to be aligned not only with who I am, but what I came to do. And what I came to do was see to it that sins are forgiven, the sins of the whole world. You know, don't you, that John the Baptist... As Jesus began his ministry, he had pointed to Jesus, in fact, and said, Look, there's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus very much wanted the people of his own day to know who he is. True God, true man in one person. The Son of God sent to be the Redeemer of the world, the one who would pay the price who would sacrifice himself, shed his blood so that sins could be forgiven. That's who he is and what he's done. You know, that is so vitally important for us to understand who Jesus is and what he's done. I want to talk to you once again about Henry Prendes. Henry, that police sergeant that we started this message was with, had not always been a Christian. In high school, he had a, a best friend, And this best friend's uncle was a very strong Christian. One day he could see this group of teenage boys was going to get themselves into trouble. So Henry's best friend's uncle said, I'm going to take these boys to a Christian camp. And he took them to this camp and he stayed there with them for an entire week where they simply heard the message of the cross, the gospel message of who Jesus is and what he's done. And the Holy Spirit used that message as he always does to call Henry, to gather Henry to himself, to enlighten Henry. And, and Henry became a believer by the power of the Holy Spirit working through that message that he heard. And, and Henry started going to church, and he, and he became a man who loved to walk with Jesus. He married his junior high school sweetheart. 
That was in the 80s. In the mid-90s, that marriage to his junior high school sweetheart began to fall apart. And he struggled. They went to counseling. He did everything he could to pull it together, but eventually the marriage completely dissolved. And then this is what happened. When his marriage fell apart, so did Henry's relationship to Christ. All of a sudden, instead of going to church and to Bible study, which, which Henry had always loved to do, Henry now was spending time on the strip. And he, he loved to go to the dollar slots and enjoy the free drinks that they brought while he was at the slots. He loved to um, sit down at the, the blackjack table and gamble. And most of all, he loved to womanize. Some nights, Henry would be dating not one but two women in a single night. And literally in the space of a year, he said he went out with dozens of women. Henry Prendes, the man who had died with the Bible, sitting on the front seat of his squad car, had lost his spiritual life. And then one day, that uncle, his best friend's uncle, saw what was happening to Henry and walked back in grabbed Henry, figuratively, not really, by the collar, sat Henry down and said, Henry, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? What are you doing? I know you're hurting. I know your life is not together the way you would want it to be, but what are you thinking? You know what? Henry responded beautifully to his best friend's uncle, and he realized, I'm thinking garbage. I'm not thinking straight. I'm not thinking the way the Lord wants me to think. I've forgotten the cross. I've forgotten who Jesus is. I've forgotten what he did for me. And Henry started going back to church, and he started getting involved again, and going to group and Bible study and all of those things that, that Christians do. He started to focus on the cross. You know what that story tells me? Focusing on the cross is as much about what you stop thinking about as it is about what you start thinking about. You see, in order for Henry to regain his focus on the cross, he had to be told and reminded, you've got to stop thinking about all that other stuff, Henry. That stuff is not going to help you. That's sin. That's rebellion against God. And that is going to lead you down a path that you do not want to go down. Stop thinking about the gambling and the money and the booze and the women. Stop thinking about them. And start remembering Jesus Christ. You know, we see that in our text too, don't we? Take a look again at your crosswalk notes. You see what Paul says? That very first set of verses, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Here's what I did not think about, Paul says. I resolved to stop focusing on how smart I am and how, eloquent I can, how eloquently I can preach. I, I don't need to think about all of that. And in my focus, I'm going to resolve to stop 
thinking about that garbage. It doesn't matter, my eloquence, my wisdom. Here's what matters, verse 2. For I resolved, I set my mind to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So here's something I want you to write down. I left you some blank spaces. Will you just write this down? When we say focus on the cross, focus on who Jesus is and what he's done, I want you to remember this. Focus is as much about what I stop thinking about as it is about what I start thinking about. And that's important for you in your life. What is it that you need to stop thinking about? What are the sins and the rebellions against God? What are the things that are getting you off track in your relationship with Jesus Christ that you need to stop dwelling on? And to make a resolution to yourself, I'm not going to think about how smart I am. I'm not going to think about these alternative ways of comforting myself in my trouble like Henry Prendes did. I'm going to resolve to know nothing in my life except Jesus Christ and him crucified and everything else. Everything else is going to get shoved away except him and his cross and his grace and his mercy. You know, when Paul wrote to the Colossians, the whole message of his letter to the Colossians was, you don't need anything else except Jesus. And I put this quote in your, um, in your um, crosswalk notes, very top of page two. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see how Paul there ties the cross to Christ's fullness, meaning that when you have Christ, you are full. You don't need anything else. You're full. You have all his fullness dwelling in you. <laughs> exactly. And here's, here's, uh, here's what he says happens when, when Christ had all of God's fullness dwelling in him. It says he was able to reconcile to himself all things. We, we had become enemies of God because of sin, but because of Christ, we're reconciled to God again. We're God's friends, and we have peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's our first point. Focus is as much about what I'm not going to think about as what I am. I think it's okay. All right. You know, the Apostle Paul was a man not unlike Henry Prendus. Remember how I described Henry Prendis as a, kind of a bull of a man, a man who would get out of his car at a crime scene where the code had just been put out over the radio that this is a very dangerous situation and would walk up to the front door like a bulldog. That was Henry Prendis. And the Apostle Paul, his personality was not too much unlike Henry Prendis's. 
In fact, he was such a bulldog that the leaders of the Jews in the Apostle Paul's time appointed him to hunt Christians down. Did you know that? That Paul, before he became Paul, was known by the name Saul. And he was, as he describes himself in the book of Galatians, a Pharisee of the Pharisee, a Jew of Jews. He was the man. And to the Jews of that day, Christianity was not something that they wanted to see. It was was false. It was bad. It was leading people astray. And so they appointed Paul to go find Christians and put them in prison. In the story of the very first martyr, Stephen, we're told in the book of Acts that Paul stood there while they gathered Stephen's belongings up and they put them at the Apostle Paul's feet and he approved of the fact that Stephen was being stoned to death. Later on in the book of Acts, we're told that Paul was constantly breathing out threats in the words of Luke, breathing out threats against the Christians. We're told that, and this is Paul himself speaking, he says, I persecuted the followers of the way, the way being Christianity. I persecuted the followers to their death, to their death, arresting them, both men and women, and throwing them into prison. Paul was a bulldog. And then one day, he was on a long trip because he'd asked to go on that long trip to a city called Damascus so that he could grab some Christians all the way from Damascus. This is how much of a bulldog this guy was, just like Henry Prendes. And he was going to bring them all the way back to Jerusalem to be tried in the religious courts. And on the way, all of a sudden, this bright light started to shine. You know the story, many of you. And then he heard a voice. Saul, why are you persecuting me? And it was so frightening. I mean, here's this bulldog of a man. But he gets so scared by this voice that he literally falls down on his face, trembling with fear. And he says, who are you? Who who are you talking to me? You can imagine bright light flashing around you like lightning, this big booming voice talking to you and saying, you're persecuting me. It must have been scary. And when Paul looked up, he couldn't see. He was blind. And we're told in the book of Acts that for three days after that, after he'd been told, I'm I'm Jesus and you're persecuting me, cut it out. Paul was escorted into the city of Damascus, still blind, and he was so scared out of his wits that he couldn't eat or drink anything for three solid days as he sat there blind. And then God sent another man named Ananias to Paul to heal him of his blindness. How interesting it is that Paul had to become physically blind (laughs) become spiritually focused on Christ. And yet, isn't that true of a lot of us? I think it was true of Henry Prendice. He had to to become spiritually blind for a little while and then have that uncle come back and say, what are you thinking? 
Get your focus back on the cross of Christ. In fact, Philip Yancey says something that I think is beautiful, and I hope you'll all remember this. Sometimes getting reacquainted with the grace of God is more powerful than the initial acquaintance that we get with the grace of God. Isn't that a powerful statement? I think it's very true. It was true of Henry Prentice. He had had loved Christ, but I'll tell you, the most powerful thing in his life was when he got reacquainted with who Jesus was and what he had done for him. That reacquaintance with the grace of God. I'll bet many of you have experienced that. That getting reacquainted with just how much Christ loves you and how much he's willing to forgive you no matter what. That's powerful. And so... Here's my second point that I want to make to you. What what it took to get Paul focused on the cross was fear. Take take a look at your text again. Verse 3, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, the passage right at the top. Notice that when he came to Corinth, he describes himself how? Came to you in weakness and in fear and with much trembling. What got Paul focused on the cross was he was afraid. That's what got him focused initially on the road to Damascus. That's what got him refocused here in the book of Corinthians. It's what got Henry Prendes focused on the cross of Christ. So if you're afraid of something right now, there's something going on in your life, and you're feeling a little trembly about it, you might just want to pause for a second And thank God for that experience. Thank God that maybe he's trying to say to you, get your focus back on the cross. Get your focus back on Jesus. Never forget that little story of Peter out on the lake trying to walk with Jesus. You know that story, right? It's one of my favorites because the moment Peter focused on the wind and the waves, boom, down he went into the water. And then Jesus held out his arm to Peter. Jesus is always the one putting the first foot forward, always. And Peter focuses back on Jesus and whoosh, up he comes out of the water again. So when you get something that's going on in your life that's frightening and might make you, like Paul, feel in weakness and fear and have much trembling, Let it direct you back to the cross to focus on the cross. That's your second point, and you can write that down somewhere in your notes. Focus and fear often go together. Focus and fear often go together. You know what? Here's the final point that I want to make, and I'm going to give it to you up front. In today's world, especially with the sports world, we tend to put the focus on the focus. In other words, we we talk about how important it is for us to get concentrated in our thought. Read this morning's sports page when you get home. You'll read an article about the sun devils and basically that they were off their rhythm is one of the phrases in there. They weren't focused enough is the implication. Read about the, um, the cardinals and you'll read about all their penalties, the most penalized team in the NFL. Why? Because they're not focused enough. There's a lot of focus on focus. 
And today's message could be about focusing on focus, but that's not what I want it to be about. That's not what the Apostle Paul, more importantly, wants it to be about. Because more important, far more important than your ability or my ability to focus is what we're focused on. Do you notice what Paul says about that? Take a look at the last, pas- last two passages. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on what? But on God's power. You see, far more important than our focus, far more powerful than our focus is, where do we rest our focus? Take a look at that Hebrews 12, verses 3 and 4 passage, because that's vitally important. Let us fix our eyes. In other words, let us focus on what? On Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith. You see, he's the one that writes faith into your heart. He's the author of it. You can't believe without Jesus. You can't focus without him. He's the one who writes it there. And not only that, after he writes it, he keeps on editing it, it says here. Until your faith is perfect. It's all him doing it. And that's why it's so important that we not focus on focus. But focus on Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You know, the Apostle Paul is a beautiful example of this. In times when he felt hurting and and down. And and in the book of 2 Corinthians, he says that he was so filled with the pressure of his work at times that he felt like giving up, even giving up on life at times. Read it for yourself in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. He says, We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. We despaired even of life. And yet, in the midst of all that pressure, where does Paul rest his faith? What does he set it on? Well, he tells us in the very next verse, he says, Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly power, and he will deliver us. Paul's focus is on God and on Jesus. On him, he says, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. Let me give you one practical thing you can do with this this week. I want you to write down in a blank space somewhere these words. First, write down the word thoughts. Then write down feelings with an arrow leading from thoughts to feelings. 
And then from feelings, write an arrow going over to the word behavior. And on top of those three words, I want you to write in a little bit bigger letters the word events. Okay? You've got events at the top, and slightly underneath that you've got thoughts, emotions, behavior. All right? I'm sharing this with you from a friend of mine who just recently shared it with me. And he said, this is how... This is one little practical way that I keep my focus on the cross every morning. In the morning, what he does is he gets up and he says a little prayer based on this pattern. And he says to himself, Lord, today, and you might want to write some of these things down, but you've already got the basis. Today, there are going to be a lot of events that are going to happen in my life. Some of them are going to be big events. Some of them are going to be little events. But this is what I know. Many of those events are going to be unexpected to me. I don't know what you have in store for me today. Henry Prendus didn't know. Paul didn't know. That's why he was under pressure. We don't know. But Lord, when those events come to me today, I want you to direct my thoughts. Direct my thoughts to your promises, Lord, that you've promised that all things work together for good, for those who love you, for those who've been called by you. Remind me that all things work for good. Lord, remind me of your promise that you made to all your disciples, all your followers, that you will be with them always to the very end of time. Remind me of that, Lord, when these events flash into my life. And Lord, remind me that you've said, it's good for me to be weak at times and uncertain. Because in those times when I am weak, Lord, you've promised to be strong. And you've, you've promised me, Lord, that your grace will be sufficient for me. Lord, as you remind me of all these thoughts and focus me on your cross, will you also help me with my emotions today? Let my emotions flow from your promises. And then also, Lord, whatever emotions you allow me to feel today, direct my behavior in the path of your commands. Now, if you would start every morning with that simple prayer, reflecting on the Word of God. And do it before all the events of your day start. This is not a prayer for when you're already upset. This is not a prayer for, like, the fifth unexpected thing that has come into your life that day at 1.30 in the afternoon. This is a prayer, my friend says, for the very first thing in the morning. So that already, the very first thing you're doing in the morning is you're putting your feet on the ground and you're bowing your head and you're saying, Lord, I I know that these things are going to happen to me, but focus me on your promises on the cross today. And let my thoughts and my emotions and my behaviors be directed by the cross. There's one little practical way. 
that maybe you can implement this message this week. Isn't it awesome to know that we have Jesus? Isn't it tremendous to know that we have the cross in our lives? You are forgiven. The blood of Christ was shed for you. Eternal life is yours right now. Right now. As a gift. Focus on the cross. That's the first and the foundational habit of a follower of Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you so much that you have brought us to the foot of your cross. It is your spirit working through the word and the sacraments that draws us in and enlightens us to this fact that we have this wonderful gift from you, the gift of everlasting life. We didn't earn it. We didn't do, we didn't do one little thing for it, Lord. You did it all. And Lord God, Heavenly Father, because of that truth, we don't have to worry because you are fully sufficient for all of us. Lord, help us to resolve as Paul resolved, to know nothing in our own lives, to know nothing in the lives of our friends and neighbors around us except you, Jesus Christ, crucified. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com. 